Welcome to CFO 4.0, the future of finance. The CFO role is changing rapidly, moving from cost controller to strategic visionary. And with every change comes opportunity. We are here to help you take advantage of this transition, to win at work, drive your career forwards, and lead with confidence. Join Hannah Monroe, Managing Director of ITAS, a financial transformation consultancy, as she interviews key experts to give you real-world advice and guidance on how to transform your processes, people, and data. Welcome to CFO 4.0, the future of finance. So hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of CFO 4.0. As usual, I am your host, Hannah Monroe, and with me today is Clive Webb, Head of Business Management at the ACCA. So today we're going to be discussing the latest and greatest report that the team at the ACCA have released. Um, And of course, for those of you that are interested, just um, don't worry, we will put all the links to the report um, in the show notes for you to download um, afterwards and peruse at your leisure. And it is very much worth reading. So um, I want to say thank you, Clive, and welcome back on the show. It is great (laughs) to have you with us again. Well, thank you, Hannah. And it's nice to be back. So, um, and I, I do apologize for anyone that's watching this on video. I think I have got the most layers I've had on in a very long time. So <laughs> it is absolutely freezing here. So I hope you appreciate the dedication to all of our <laughs> listeners um, of doing this podcast in, uh, yeah, in the not so warm podcast studio. So, yeah. um, so, so Clive, tell us a little bit about the report, um, and you know, give us a, at a top level what were you what were you looking at as part of this report. Okay, so in our narrative of the research around the future of the finance function, we've looked at quite a few bits and pieces over the years, what the role of the function needs to be, the role of business partnering in the function. We talked about value, as we've talked about on the podcast before, Hannah. Um, What we then stepped back and and looked at this post-pandemic world and this very challenging world and planning, forecasting, and scenario modeling seemed to be a, an area that the messages we were getting were people were doing what they've always done. So we wanted to explore whether it's time for us to rethink some of that agenda, to consider some of the myths and some of the negatives, and turn those into opportunities and positives. And to do that, we did a piece of research with our strategic partners, Charter Council Australia and New Zealand, and also with the PwC um, finance consulting team globally. So that brought us in a, a wide range of people and a wide range of perspectives and about 3,000 survey respondents, of which about 500 come from the UK. So fairly large, broad mix of people fairly large broad mix of views. What we wanted to do was explore simply, can we change the way we think about planning and forecasting? And you talked, um, you then, you mentioned sort of the myths um, around um, the the topic. And I think there is a, there's a lot of that, isn't there? So what is the Mm. current state of play in planning and forecasting? Okay, so if we have a look at those myths, we start with, we're too financially focused. We just simply, as finance community, forecast the balance sheet, forecast the profit and loss. Um, There was one CFO that I talked to in the UK who's a 
what I would term portfolio CFO. So he works with quite a few organizations, particularly in the mid-tier sector. And his line was, every organization I go into, we do the same planning process. And it's like we've read the same textbook every single time. We don't vary it for the organization. We don't vary it for the context. And we're doing it simply to forecast the balance sheet and the profit and loss account. And at, as we know at the moment, especially cash is king. You know, in an, the current economic environment, it's cash flow that's going to constrain a business, not your PL or your balance sheet as such. So we're too financially focused. We're too narrow in what we try and do with it. So we're simply looking at financial performance and we're not really relating that to the operational performance of the business model and we're too much looking at the past um one of the statistics was from the survey was about 57 percent of the respondents globally about 50 percent in the uk spent most of their time just simply looking at variance analysis and telling the story of the past when the challenge is actually what the story of the future is going to be and what the past implies about the potential for the future and there was a feeling that we built and, and was echo for the original myths that we put together that finance looks at this as a finance process it doesn't look at it as an organization-wide process now the good news is actually i think from finance perspective we're probably better than we think we are and about 56% globally, 59% in the UK sort of said, actually, we do look at operational performance, but we don't tell the story that we do. And making that link stronger it, and more visible, I think, was another message. And the final thing, which we've come back to many times, is the good old accountant's view of perfection. And, you know, we want to produce a, a budget and it's, going to be right and it's going to be 100% right and it's about learning where the point is that we make a decision based upon the information and getting it more perfect isn't going to change that decision so those were our sort of views of planning today now quite a lot of them hold and some of them don't quite hold and some of them may be about how we as a profession sell our story to others but that was the view of where we started anyway. No, no, that is so interesting and very, very apt. I literally got off a call this morning and we were talking about agility and reporting. And mm. this, this was a, a um, finance um, head of finance. And one of the interesting things was the obsession with perfection. And, and I understand the want for it, but the reality that for anyone that wants to do flash reporting or <laughs> mid-month reporting and getting that data out to the the exec, um, you you can't have both. You can't have the numbers perfect yeah. and get, at, get and serve it instantly. So it's 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 figuring out what is the the allowable variance and how good is good enough for the purpose mm. of pulling that report. So really, it's just I just find it really funny. I've literally had that conversation this morning <laughs> um, with a and, uh, with a with a customer. <laughs> and you mentioned that a word of agility, and and that mm. I think it, it's absolutely right. It's what you said about how we get out of the monthly cycle. I'm able to tell yeah. the story as we need to tell it because this world is incredibly volatile now. And anybody you sort of talk to will say that volatility 
isn't going to go away for the time being. So we have to get more agile. We have to be more flexible to tell that story. And as you said, not worry about getting it 100% right, but to the point where that decision doesn't change is the point at which we need to aim for. Because we're going to keep improving, improving, improving. Um, But we have a mindset of here's an annual cycle, an annual process, and that's what we do. As I said, the feeling that here's the textbook and we just follow the textbook. And I, and, and I think that's a really important because a lot of people think of a budgeting cycle as annual. So in mm. terms of the current state of play is, because I, I speak to some, you know, I have obviously some customers that are still on the annual cycle and that's, they, they are hard and fast, but others are more mm. dynamic and are more um, scenario based and revisiting regularly. Has that, has that changed? Is that, w- what is the current state of play around scenarios and frequency of budgeting and planning? Okay. So I think the answer is it's complicated as these things always are because from the CFOs we talk to, particularly in the UK, there's still a feeling that the lenders like that annual pole in the ground. Yeah, that, hmm. that flagpole which says, as of today, it is this. The problem yeah. is tomorrow it's going to be something different, but as of today, it's this. That might be good for the purpose of the lender and their governance and their risk management. For the purpose of running the business, that doesn't work terribly well. And then, as you correctly said, you're into scenario modeling. Um, we went, when we were doing the interviews, this was at the time when things were going really not particularly well in Sri Lanka and they ended up with hyperinflation and and those sort of problems. And one CFO there said, the problem is I have three scenarios that I model. I have a worst and a more worst and an even more worse and dire. And the only problem is at the moment, it's the dire one that always comes past. And it's about thinking about how you use those scenarios to influence your decision making, understanding that we're not in a particularly good, you know, the economic levers are, are very challenging. And all right, we're not in a Sri Lanka position here in the UK, but it's still thinking about how we use modeling and scenarios. So to answer your question of how frequently you do them, it's how frequently your risks change. And I think that was the other lesson from Sri Lanka was link it to your risk management. So when your risks change, remodel. Don't wait for a finite cycle. Be more flexible because that's the point at which you need to take decisions. So if we're stuck in that annual cycle, we're never going to get to survivability. Yeah, and I think if I maybe paraphrase what you said earlier, there's 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 a there's a formal budgeting cycle I think that you're saying that comes out for the lenders and obviously for those in there. But within that, there's then the more dynamic cycles that support that annual cycle and that people are evaluating depending on the volatility. Mm. Obviously, I think everyone's going, <laughs> oh, we're gonna <laughs> it, we're in those volatile times. Let's be honest, things are changing incredibly rapidly at the moment. So. Um, that, mm. that is going to become more common. And how comfortable are CFOs, that, or sorry, the individuals that you're speaking to, with that dynamism that's required around the budgeting and planning and the agility? Um, I think that depends on the CFO, to be honest. 
Mm. I, and you and I have had, I think, on a previous podcast conversation about the role of the CFO. And, and again, it's something that this report touched on and something that our research is going to turn back to again is the attributes of the CFO because those are changing dynamically. Um, I think a lot of the CFOs get the message that it is about agility and flexibility, but there are quite a lot that are still hoping that we revert back to the stable world that we were in the annual cycle and <laughs> and the comfortable world. And you sort of feel particularly, and I, I suppose there's another trend beneath this, which is how organisations are funded. And, and as we see more intervention from banks, particularly around the ESG agenda, green finance, things like that, the model, the reporting gets more sophisticated because you're being asked to think about other things. And therefore, that annual cycle is, is part of that learning that CFOs need to do. So the answer is, I think, few get it, but I'm sure a lot don't get where we need to head. And that's why we do these reports. Interesting, really interesting. And and was that same... Um, com- I would say, you know, com- being comfortable with the, the agility and the dynamism required and the flexibility required within planning. Was that the same at all sizes of business? Or, you know, obviously you mentioned you've spoken to, you know, a more fractional CFOs and, and obviously those in, in industry. So um, I think the answer to that is a bit more complicated than simply size. Um, yes, you have those large organizations where the model itself is inherently complex. So there's one I was talking to, which was a large scale retailer and, you know, 2025 interlinked Excel spreadsheets, then another series of spreadsheets pulling data from source systems about customers and aggregating that up and, you know, I think the poor individual could run it about twice a month simply for the effort of how to update this. And and I think we'll probably come back to spreadsheets. I have a feeling we've, we've touched on something there. But the other side of it is this dynamic way of having to think is driven by some of the things about lending. If you're in an organization that, is heading towards private equity or private equity buyout. Um, you're in a different scenario. And obviously, the lenders are wanting their payout at a certain point. So that puts you in a different level of modeling that you need to do, given where the exit is or potential exit is. So I think you've got a card of CFOs that are very used to trying to manage that kind of scenario and are far more into the agile modeling. Um, and in small entities, I think there are, t- there are two constraints. One is there's a belief that it's very hard to produce a budget and a scenario model because the software isn't there. And I suspect the answer is, yes, it is. It might not be perfect, but there is something that will get you on that path and it will integrate into the majority of the major players of the accounting software. So. It's about doing your own investigation due diligence on on the software. The the second point is 
the skills that you've got to do the modeling. And I think that's the constraining factor, particularly for the smaller entities, is having the skills to understand how you build the scenarios. And that's where a good SMP comes in. Yeah, so, and and I think talking of technology, um, it will be no surprise to anyone that has listened to my podcast before or attended any of our Transformation Lives that I was shocked and aghast at the stats (laughs) that came out in terms of the spreadsheet uses. Was it 82%, I think it was, were using spreadsheets? And I can only imagine the Excel wizardry. Yeah, Yeah. And, and somebody said it's a badge of honor for the accountant. Yeah. 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 Best spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We can put together the best and most complicated spreadsheet that nobody else can understand. Um, I, I think there are two issues with that. And, and we know we know the flaws of the spreadsheets. We know it's easy to introduce errors. It's easy to be too dependent upon one person. And Frankly, as the spreadsheets have grown in their capabilities, so the accountants grown in their ability to to use them. The danger is you get to a point, and and this is illustrated by a, a very good case study in the report, where it isn't robust enough. And this was a story of, again, private equity and lenders at a time during the pandemic where this particular organisation was particularly troubled by some of the the impacts and require refinancing and the the spreadsheet wouldn't do it it just wasn't robust enough so they ended up looking at an xpna solution and luckily somebody had bought one licensed it and then put it on the shelf and not done anything with it so quickly they trained somebody up and they implemented it, and the lenders were blown away because it gave them what they wanted, and they could see how much more robust it is. So that 82% is a story of do we have the courage to think about, and the time to think about how we get into better solutions that, that fit our size of organization. And do you know what I find really interesting? We go back to the beginning of our conversation. This is always the discussion that I have with people when they're evaluating tools, et cetera, is that we, you know, most people are following a similar process. I won't say the same process, but a similar framework in which to calculate budgets and to do planning. Mm. Um, And I think people are so focused on the need for flexibility that they, they, they over over exaggerate I think is probably the wrong word but they they feel like their process is so much more unique than everybody else's and actually Mm. once you pick it apart and you get under the hood of the the concept of frameworks of scenarios of you know of all the different elements actually it's surprisingly similar that how people and I'm lucky enough to work across industry but how similar the frameworks are that are used for these kind of processes so I think that's an interesting piece we talked about Lots of people are in the same position, are doing similar things, are working from the same book, yet there's a reluctance to move around away from something like Excel, which is this incredibly flexible tool because they, they feel like they're unique enough to need that flexibility. Mm. I, I absolutely agree with what you said, and I've heard that so many times. It, it's people 
don't want to move away from what they're comfortable with and don't want to invest yet the reality is if you move to a more cloud-based solution you can automate those data feeds you know, that example i used a few minutes ago of somebody aggregating spread data through tiers of spreadsheets yes there are always constraints but it's there are other ways if you think about it that will automate some of that that will give you more resilience that will make the models more robust and i think the other thing we need to to recognize back to almost where i started we've got to link operational performance and financial performance and the sustainability agenda more into the one model because uh, somebody I was talking to yesterday said they feel that the whole ESG agenda is a bit like a merry-go-round or pass the parcel I think would be more accurate you know it lights on somebody when the music stops unfortunately or fortunately the music tends to stop on finance so as we increasingly are likely to need to do more non-financial reporting you know if you are a, a supplier to a european union company there's a whole raft of disclosure requirements heading out um it's about how you build that one model that embraces all those metrics not simply different models one of which deals with the social agenda one of which it deals with the environmental agenda one of which deals with the economic agenda and if the three sit in isolation the organization isn't going to go forwards is it and and that i think is exploding the other myth of this planning cannot now just simply be financial because the stakeholders are increasingly interested in the social and the environmental aspects of what organizations do and it it then impacts your cost of capital at the end of the day and that's quite an interesting point because i think you mentioned that the that planning the current state of play planning is that it's in, it's very siloed it's very finance mm. focused at the moment so do you feel like that is the big challenge with these other elements is that we're not incorporating the wider organization it's very financial driven piece you know what were your, some of your findings around that yes i i think we've got to view finance as the ultimate collaborator yeah you know, um we talked in the pandemic a lot about connectivity and collaboration and agility that a word again agility um we've got to work within teams no we may not necessarily own the whole of the ESG agenda or the sustainability agenda but we need to be involved if we're to report it we need to be involved if we need to measure it etc but a lot of the actions are going to come from other teams and other activities the question then becomes how do you get the robustness of the data because certainly if you read things like the SEC guidance or some of the European Union guidance there's a trend that the level of internal control over that reported information needs to be the same or nearing towards the same level of quality as you get with financial information 
so that brings in the whole concept of control of quality of data and that's a finance type issue so linking the two together operationally in your planning is a good start point because then you understand the model and you understand what you report if you don't understand what you report you get into greenwashing bluewashing and all the other colors and we talk about obviously there's a, there's a clear need for finance to step up to the plate, particularly around that ESG agenda. Um, how what it, how involved are finance right now? Is it that they are they are involved and they're doing it that is just not integrated, or is it that it's it's currently not being done? What's your observations during the study? I think the answer is improving, but is it's a journey. Um, yes, there were some CFOs that would talk about, yes, actually, we do understand this. We do understand how to model it. But a lot stood back and said, we know we've got to get there. And I think for the survey results, most seem to think in three to five years, we need to get there, but we're nowhere near there yet. You know, it's the 4%, 5% that are there and the... 45, 50% that know they've got to get there. It's that sort of number. Um, so I think we get the message. The question is the how, and the question is the time. And to something else you and I, I think, have talked about before, it's also how do you have the skills in finance to broaden it away from simply just the financial side into some of the non-financial things and, and make sense. And these finance a broader community itself. So there are quite a lot of challenges, I think, and it's not the best time to have those challenges because investment isn't as easy in the the economic environment we're in. Yeah, it's a particularly challenging fundraising environment right now and there's a mm. huge amount of due diligence is certainly the experience that um, we're seeing with um, companies that we work with. Um, a lot more than there has been previously, which is quite interesting mm. um, around that. Okay, so we've talked a lot about the current state of play. Let's talk about what the aspiration is for this function. Okay. What does that look like? What does great and look like in planning and budgeting? Okay. Um, firstly, it's scenario-driven, it's future-driven. We've got to see it as something that supports the business decision making and has a view of the future yeah back back to your three scenarios how do we know which one's likely to occur how do we know where the key sensitivities are because i think one of the things we talk about scenario modeling but we don't actually talk about the sensitivity analysis and what the true levers of the business are so that's a deeper understanding bit the second piece, I think, is around what you might call value or stakeholder capitalism or terms like that, which means that we're not simply reporting financial, we're reporting people, purpose and profit. So if we're needing to do that, because that's what the lenders require, that's what the investors require, We've got to think of it more as integrated planning because we can't report one separate from the other without understanding the interdependencies of them. And if we don't understand the interdependencies, then 
the planning isn't going to work because you'll get, oh, yes, we can increase 20% of sales, but actually we don't have the raw materials or that puts us in this position or whatever. You then get the interaction of supply chains in this. And I think there are two dynamics to that. Yes, there is the whole supply chain disruption piece. And what we've learned from that is the need to be more transparent about data, up and down value chains. And my plan and my production schedule is the input into my customer's plan. They are connected, they are not isolated. And what we tend to to operate as is isolated. And that is from the planning side, but it's also from the, the production side as well. The other side of supply chains is the increasing scope that regulators see, the SEC, the EU, for example, on disclosing what happens in terms of the environmental social agenda in the supply chain. So do you have the information to satisfy some of the needs in that value chain? Um, and that's starting to become a reality. So there are two sides to supply chains. It then gets to managing the working capital because all of this is about a more dynamic view of how we manage a business. And we know working capital is the key constraint at the moment. So how do I optimize working capital by being more dynamic and forward-looking and looking across the piece? And at the end of the day, this is about perception of stakeholders. So those people that we communicate with, from employees through to lenders, through to shareholders, through to regulators, through to customers, and anything between all of those, they are the people that we are talking to in this stakeholder world. So it's their perceptions. So the nearer we can get to communicating better with them, the the more integrated view of performance, the better we're going to get. But the final point is, I think in those stakeholders is about employees. We tend to write performance management systems about how will you do or I do. But what you and I do is really part of a team effort. And we've looked very much at a traditional view of linking financial performance to human performance. And we've got to think differently about how we we reward humans for the performance of the organization. So it's quite a lot of things in that basket. (laughs) There's a huge amount. And I think... um... That whole tying reward to performance is a really interesting topic in itself. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, I think a lot of the way, a lot in my experience and from what I've seen, I do feel like a lot of the reasons um, performance goes wrong is because of the be- the reward driven behaviors that it, you know, um, that uh, exist. Um, and yeah. From, from from things I've seen in the past, that tends to be where it goes wrong. So it's a that probably is an entire podcast in itself. Yes, <laughs> if you um, we quote it in the book in the um, research, but there is a book called Beyond Budgeting mm. um, by a wonderful Norwegian guy, 
um, who talks very much. He, he's an interesting person. He sat in, he's a finance person who sat in HR and technology over his career. So he's got this integrated lens and he talks about motivating teams rather than motivating individuals. And it, that some of the messages we put into a report, we've also talked to him before in other reports. Um, that whole thing about performance is is a key issue, I think, going forwards. Absolutely, and I'm, uh, I might. Uh, I, I will put, not only will I put the link in for all of our listeners to that book, <laughs> but I will. I will grab it. I'm always looking for interesting <laughs> materials, so that's on my uh, my two <laughs> my two read lists. So, so you talked a lot about obviously extending the the process by which we budget, incorporating you know not just obviously the financial metrics, but obviously people and purpose as well. Um, so. I guess that then opens the question. So I've seen over the years a number of different approaches to budgeting, top down, bottom up, um, all sorts mm-hmm. of ways. Is there, was there any consensus around what is best practice, how we should be approaching that budgeting um, piece across those different elements? Um, the honest answer is no, mm-hmm. because I think it, it. this is one of the things that is very, very dependent on the nature of the organisation. Um, and you know you can throw in zero-based budgeting. You know, do you go back to zero every single year and build it up? Um, the example I use when I've run teams and done prepare my own budgets in organisations, some started from the assumption: well, you have, and and this is special services. You have all these people. Therefore, they will bring in the fees. No, the fees come from the clients. If you don't have the clients, what are the people going to do? And it's that mindset of understanding what the business model is, is your answer to do you come top down or do you come bottom up? Um, it's a difference, again, using a pressure services example, my own, between an annuity business and a business where you have to get every single pound of revenue from scratch you budget for those in different ways if it's annuity you're sort of certain of your revenue stream if it's every single piece of work is competitive you've got to start from where are your customers what are the issues your customers face and i think that we get hung up on top down bottom up we don't get hung up on do i really understand the business model and do, do we let the business model dictate how I prepare the budget? Yeah, that, the, the, yeah. Again, it's what you said. The textbook says we do it this way. The textbook is generic. It's not. It's not understanding the dynamics of that business. Absolutely, I think that's probably the best word I've. The best way I've heard it described. So well done, Clive, in terms of how to approach. Um, and because, uh, yeah, it, like you say, it depends. You know, that, that is mm. such a consultant answer, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it that's depends. what consultants do. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> but it is very true. And I think, um, but again, it's that flexibility, isn't it? Is that we, mm. we need to almost have the framework but throw the rule book perhaps out of the window when we're approaching budgeting in this current climate. And and it's understanding those levers. Mm. It's understanding what makes the difference in that organisation. And, and that's what we're not t- 
terribly good at. We, mm. If we stick to the rule book, we end up with that inflexible Excel model that will simply start with you know, your table of inputs here and it cascades through the model and produces an output and you tweak those inputs. It's not really thinking about where the levers are and are we really mapping the right level of complexity? And I think that's a the limitation of Excel is, you know, can we actually match the complexity in the way that we probably now need to do? And I'm not trying to sell any one solution here. I'm just saying, think about whether you can match the flexibility that you actually need going forward. Yeah, and I like you say, I think that that's the challenge, isn't it? It's the speed to delivery. If you're depending mm. on the approach you're taking, having to rebuild your entire Excel model every year because factors have changed and thing, you know, and mm. and assumptions, etc. That that's not fundamentally sustainable. I think that that's the piece that I worry about is once people have an Excel module, they are they're very reluctant to change it. <laughs> Or the person that built it has left. There isn't the documentation. And I've heard this story many times. Mm. Yeah. So somebody's tweaked it and introduced an error. And nobody quite has the capability to debug it in the old ways. I mean, I remember one of the worst models I ever saw going back many years was a gigantic early days carbon emissions model. And, you know, being faced with that and trying to think about, well, actually, how do you test this for accuracy is, it, yeah, is impossible. But it relied on that one individual knowing how their model linked together and where the outputs came from. And I think also what was interesting was a comment you made about, if we go back to the concept of it depends and the skills required to identify the right approach is where like you say, um, there's there's a gap, I think, in that, you know, in that CFO skill set. CFO's role is not necessarily to prepare, but to coordinate and identify the process by which you are going to approach mm. the budgets. And and I and I I I I I believe that there's a real gap there. Like the ability to the people tend to do what they've always done when how they approach budgeting. So it'd be quite interesting to see. Did, was that reflected in the conversations you had? Yes, I, I've, I've got a ringing voice in my ear from one of the CFOs that we talked to who will immediately shout at me business partnering at this point <laughs> because it, it is about how we use that output to tell the story, to help the decision-making. But if we don't understand the output, we don't understand the narrative, we can't support the decision-making. So. It's that sort of link between do we understand the output, do we understand the business model, can we advise in that trusted advisor way that you and I have talked about before. And it comes back to the role of finance. You know, we are yes, we are transactional processes. Increasingly we automate that. We have a compliance and control angle, but actually we are the advisors to the business. And it's that insight. And what is the budget for? What are the scenario models for? They're to help the business make decisions. So if we can't help present the information they tell us, we're not doing a good enough job of 
the role of finance. Does that sort of answer your question, Hannah? Or have I gone slightly off track there? Bit of both. Yep. But the, <laughs> the, the, the off track is incredibly insightful. And I think, yeah. So so let's talk about, right, we talked a lot about the initial the, the state of play currently, like what the aspiration mm-hmm. is for budgeting planning. What is the actions and steps that, you know, finance teams of CFOs need to take to get us there? What are the key areas okay. that they need to focus and think about? Right. Um, so I'll break those down in seven. Just, just simply, the report suggests seven things that people need to think about doing. Firstly, take that step back and look at the more holistic view. So what are we doing planning performance for? It's not simply the financial lens. It's the operational lens. It's the sustainability lens. We've got to embrace that more integrated view of plan performance. Then something we haven't quite touched on, but we maybe have, is it's about a culture in the organization. It's not about, as we said earlier on, performance being about the individual. It's about performance being about the organization, the teams within the organization, and how we interconnect and collaborate and uh, and jointly own the objectives. So if we don't have a culture of open planning and performance across the organization, we're never going to get to that more integrated planning model. So we all own it. We're all part of it. It's not finance. It's not sales. It's not operations. We've got to think where we get the data from and how we turn that data into insights. Increasingly, non-financial data fitting, filling into models, how customers behave, how um, emissions fit in, some of the other factors we will think about. So thinking about the data sets that you need and how you build those into model and what insights you want from the data. So back to your scenarios, what is it that you are trying to make decisions around and can we trace that back to the data we need to get there? And that itself requires a deep understanding of the organization. You know, as I said, what are those levers? What levers are you pulling? Is our model actually reflecting the way that the business operates or is it an assumption based upon how it was, as you said, five years ago or more? That requires us to have processes that work and are optimal and it also requires us to become agile because if we stick in an annual cycle that was as we said earlier on true yesterday and isn't true tomorrow so we need the technology to do that so the seventh point is what is your technology stack and does it enable you to do all these other things and if Excel is right for you good if Excel isn't, have a rethink because it's not necessarily right in 82% of the cases. It's going to be right for some people. It's um, not right for everybody. Yeah. There's, there's a scale issue, isn't the piece? Yeah. You know, when you, when you, as you said, you've got 25 spreadsheets collating and aggregating <laughs> data, there is time to rethink. If you've got a single spreadsheet with two sheets, the reality yeah. is, is that, you know, um, if it's doing the job well, you're, you're doing okay. So, yeah. um, no, um, and I really hope some um, nobody's listening to me agree that there are some instances <laughs> where spreadsheets are um, valuable <laughs> and appropriate. 
So, well, thank you so much, Clive. Um, of, um, no, we thank have you, rapidly Hannah. run out of time. <laughs> <laughs> It's been a fabulous session. Um, So just to recap, for those that would like to um, consume the report, um, I will put the links into both the summary version and the full length version. If you got the chance to read the full length, I would. Um, But obviously, the summary gives you the the key highlights, um, as does this podcast as well, um, on, on the report. But are there any other resources that you found particularly valuable or insightful as you were going through the report that you think that people should consume? Obviously, you mentioned that book um, on the journey. Yeah. um, I mean, it depends what line avenue you want to take. There is an increasing discussion, I think, about value. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that literature that there's a book which is sort of sitting over there on the side of my desk because I'm using it for something else called Grow the Pie. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another interesting one because it talks about the measurement of performance being more value centric and this people profit um, performance piece. So, you know, there are a few things around that you want to look at and, and have a think about this literature about what performance actually means going forwards and and how we think about a more sustainable organisation. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Clive. As always, it is incredibly insightful and an absolute pleasure to speak to you on the podcast. Um, and for those of you listening, if I missed a question, if there's any follow-up questions that you have, please do reach out to myself. And I'm sure Clive won't mind uh, a message <laughs> Um, asking Not about those either but you know if we get enough of them we will I will definitely be asking Clive back for a follow-up <laughs> and uh, perhaps a whole different conversation <laughs> around um, people management and performance <laughs> management there as well so thank you so much Clive and uh, yeah very much looking forward to the next report are there any exciting <laughs> ones due to be released oh well we're currently working on one on the accountant and social agenda. So that's mm-hmm. an interesting one to get around. Ah, so there we go. where we'll do keep... we fit in that debate? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to, to reading that one as it comes out. Well, thank you so much, Clive. I really appreciate your time and for all your hard work on that report as well. My pleasure, Hannah. And thank you as always for the invitation. Nice to speak as always. <laughs>